So praise God. I'm going to open the Bible, and I'd like you to open yours uh, to the book of Acts. Surprised. For those of you that have been with us for the past few months, we've been going through the book of Acts, not, not in the way we've done it before. Now, we've, we've done verse by verse through the book of Acts, um, every single word we talked about. Uh, this time, what we're doing is we're focusing on the sermons in the book of Acts, because I believe that we are in, and the church is in, a season of harvest, a season where the gospel has got to be proclaimed uh, in the same power, but sometimes in a new way to the world around us. When I say in a new way, I don't mean the message changes at all. I mean we have to understand that God is, is giving us new ideas and new methods to, to reach new people. And he's building bridges and he's drawing people. And so what we do as believers is we respond to that. and We say, okay, Lord, send me. Where do you want me to go? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's just the laborers that are few. Well, now we live in a time where there's plenty of laborers. We just have to show up for work. Right? Come on, look around the world. We are not short on Christians. What What we're short on at times is Christians who will do the work that God called us to do. We're, sometimes we're short on Christians who know who they are and know what they're called to. And, 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 and I, I've been counted in that group before. I, I, there are times where I find myself in that group. I go, man, I'll just let everybody else do it. I will do my thing. They'll do theirs. And, and the Lord is saying, no, you're never, you're never not in the field. Right. Now, you, the way I write, might reach people is different than the way you might reach people. God's given us different giftings. He's given us different um, uh, skills. He's given us different uh, connections and, 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 and ways that we connect with people, and yet it's the same Spirit working through all of us. So we've been studying the sermons in the book of Acts, and, and we're going to see a transition here. The beginning of the book of Acts, and I go over this a lot when we talk about it, but the beginning of book, the book of Acts, we saw the apostles ministering to their fellow Jewish people telling them that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, that he's the one the prophets have been telling you about, the scriptures proclaim, this is him. Then we see a transition where the gospel is opened up to the Samaritans, those that were kind of like the cousins, all right? So they kind of believed, they held to some of the Old Testament scriptures, they held to some of the beliefs of the one true God, and yet they'd gotten off on some weird stuff, and the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Did not get along. Saw each other as cults. So what we saw is that when the gospel reached the Samaritans, that the, after Philip went to the Samaritans, everybody, uh, all the apostles went and said, well, let's just keep preaching to Samaritans. Then we saw the gospel branch out to the Romans and the Greeks and all the, 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 the uh, Syrians and all these different people groups. And, and even, on the book, even on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see the gospel preached in Arabic. And we see the gospel preached in, in all of these different languages and, and dialects. So the gospel begins to reach people who don't know anything about the scripture and believe there's, you know, an infinite amount of gods. They're learning there's one God. They're learning there's one God and he will judge all creation, that there's a resurrection. That was another thing for them that was new for them, that there will be a resurrection. That was a stumbling block for the Athenians. He's preaching strange deities and a resurrection. But this was the truth they preached to people who had no Bible background. You know there's a creator. Look around you. You're aware of him. There is a creator. He created you. And one day he will judge the world in righteousness And here's the good news. On that day of judgment, you can be confident because of what Jesus did for us. 
that he made a way that we could be reconciled to God, reconciled to our creator, and that we, on that day of judgment, could be judged innocent. That's a powerful message. Now we're going to see a transition. We're right in the middle of, of, of what's going to happen. We've seen the gospel preached to the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and now we're going to see the gospel preached on trial. Why is this important for us? Well, first and foremost, every scripture the Bible says is profitable to you. But the other reason this part of the book of Acts is important is that you realize that there is a power in preaching the gospel when people aren't really looking to hear it. There's a power in preaching the gospel when it's not popular. There's a power in preaching the gospel when it's misunderstood and you're misunderstood. There's a power in remaining Christ-like when no one's being Christ-like to you. If you haven't had a chance to practice that, I'm hoping that you don't and that you do. And um, Some of the hardest moments in your life are some of the best moments in your life to learn how to be like Jesus. When you feel betrayed, when you feel misunderstood, when you feel slandered, when you feel talked about, when you feel persecuted, all these things, these are an opportunity to identify with Christ. So in Acts chapter 20, we, we talked about how the gospel reached the Ephesians and how the church in Ephesus began in a city that was so full of witchcraft and sorcery and, and what we would call new age stuff. You know, new age is not new, right? New age is pretty old. And so it's some of the same stuff we see today. And this, this, this church, or sorry, this city was so dominated by um, all of these different ways that they'd open themselves up to evil spirits that one of the hallmarks of the miracles in Ephesus was that a lot of demons had to leave people. A lot of deliverance had to happen. Thank God for it. I think we're in a time where in our culture there's probably a whole lot of deliverance that needs to take place because there's been a whole lot of of, of, of Uh, spiritual activity that's not of God. So we we saw how the church in Ephesus began. Now we're going to skip to the next chapter, and we're skipping some really cool stories, but there's no sermons in them. So you're going to have to go back and read those yourself. But we're going to pick up at the farewell to Ephesus. So for those years, Paul spent discipling them, pouring into them, and then he went off and he did some missionary work. He um, we know he went back up to Macedonia, he went down to Greece, back up to Macedonia again. So he had planted some churches, but then he comes back to, the, to Miletus, which is a, a, a town just south of Ephesus. And he calls the elders of the church of Ephesus. So when we talk about elders, we're basically saying like the pastors of the churches, the, the leaders of these churches. He calls them. And he says, I need to have a meeting with you. And the reason he's going to have the meeting is because he's about to tell him this is the last time we're going to talk. Paul has a sensing. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen, where or why or when. But he knows I'm about to hit the next phase of my ministry. You see, at the beginning of his walk with Jesus, Jesus knocked him off, knocked him on the ground and told him, you're going to work for me now. And you're going to testify for my name in front of kings and rulers. 
which sounds great, right? And if the Lord gave you that prophetic word, you'd be like, okay, so I'm going to be a celebrity, and uh, they're going to want me to come. They're going to invite me, and I'm going to be invited to all these big parties. And, and uh, in reality, Jesus had a different method for Paul. He said, no, um, and I don't think Paul knew this at first, but he came to know over a period of time, I think the way I'm going to stand in front of all these kings is that I'm going to be a prisoner, and I'm going to be on trial. And perhaps in those moments, he remembered what Jesus said, that they'll put you in prison and they'll put some of you to death, but make up your mind not to prepare a defense beforehand, for in that hour, I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you wisdom that no one could refute. It'll be words from my spirit. They'll be my words, not your words. And he says, in that day, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Them putting you on trial leads to an opportunity for your testimony. This is why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because when you feel falsely accused, like Paul was, he was constantly falsely accused. The whole church was falsely accused. Peter said, they're going to slander us, so keep your behavior excellent. So that you don't give them a good reason to, to, to tell the truth about you. If they're gonna, they said, they're going to slander us anyway, so keep your behavior excellent. So that in the thing which they slander you... Someday they're going to glorify God when they get visited. See, in our day and age, a lot of times when we're slandered or mistreated, we think we need to fight like the world fights. We need to go on the offense. We need to start the PR battle. We need to hit them back just as hard as they hit us. But that is not what Jesus said. If you get so obsessed with defending yourself, you lose the opportunity for the testimony God's given you. There's power in that testimony. There's power in that moment of saying, I refuse to be changed by what's being done to me. I am the Lord's. I'm a child of God, so that's who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm going to be his. I'm going to react like Jesus reacts, and Stephen showed us how to do that. Look at Jesus, and you'll react to Jesus. Look at people, you'll react to people. Here's what he says in uh, Acts 20, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called to him the elders of the church. When they'd come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So just for those of you who haven't been with us, when he says Asia, he's talking about the Roman province of Asia. He's not talking about what we call Asia now. Paul never made it to China or Japan or Siam or anything like that. So he would, he's not, not to India, although Thomas did. It, Paul is talking about the province, the Roman province of Asia, which is also called Asia Minor. And it's basically what we now call Turkey, most of it. And so he said, from the first day I set foot in Asia, which Ephesus was like, if you were coming from Greece, Ephesus might be one of the main cities you'd hit first. Paul hit it from a different direction because Paul came up from Jerusalem up to Syria and then over. Uh, but Ephesus was, like we said last week, a major port city. It was a city, kind of the entryway to all these other um, inner cities within uh, Asia Minor. And so when you open the book of Revelation, you see Jesus write seven letters to seven churches. Those are the seven churches in this part of Asia. And Ephesus was the gateway to them all. So Paul is really speaking to the leaders in Ephesus because they play an important role. What seems to fly in Ephesus is going to fly in all the other cities. If they allow something, it'll probably take off. If they resist something, the other churches will follow. It's a major influential point. 
Paul says, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. I want you to know that the sermon you're preaching is not just the words you're saying, it's the life you're living. So I know that sometimes we go, well, I, all of Jesus, I, want, I don't want anyone to see me. I just want them to see Jesus. I know what you mean, and I want to I affirm that by saying they have to see Jesus as they see you, right? They need to see your life. It needs, to be, it needs to line with the gospel or else it's just hypocrisy. If they don't see your life lining up with the gospel, then there's, at some point they're saying there's a disconnect here. How does this make sense? Paul is able to include himself in the message and say, you saw how I lived. I proved to you that it wasn't just a message. It was a life. And he said, how I was with you the whole time. In verse 19, he says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And that's, that's the religious leaders of his day. Um, many of the Jewish people were saved, but some of them really became his best fan club that followed him from town to town and turned crowds against him. He said, you saw how I served with humility, with tears, and with trials. You know, the stuff we sing about. <laughs> Verse 20. There's a Christian pop song for you, huh? How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, he's saying, if I counted my life as, as really valuable to me, I couldn't fulfill my ministry. Because my ministry requires me to put the gospel before my own life. Now you may say that's just too much. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says if anybody wants to find your life, you better lose it first. He says if you're trying to save your life, you'll lose it eventually. But if you're willing to lay it down, you'll find it. If you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. Jesus says that, I mean, and he showed us, first and foremost, he showed us that there is no resurrection if there's not death. If we're afraid of death, if we're afraid of uh, a friendship dying, if we're afraid of a job opportunity dying, if we're afraid of our own life, us dying, you'll never walk in the power of resurrection. Power of resurrection says, there's nothing you can do to me that stops the plan of God. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live uh, in, in intimidation. And I'm not going to live in a way that says, uh, my comfort or my own life is more valuable than anything. I'm going to live in a way knowing that this is just a drop in eternity. That this, however many decades you've got on this spinning ball, is, is so quick. It's so quick. Because you're going to live for eternity. Everybody will. You're going to live for eternity. Whether you, whether you live with the Lord or not is the big question. But you will. you are an eternal being. So a few decades in the light of eternity is nothing, and yet it's so valuable. 
what we do in this brief bit of time. And so would you, would you have said the most important, if you knew the most important five minutes of your life, if God showed you there are five minutes in your lifetime that are more important than any other minute in your life, any other set of minutes in your life, there's a five-minute period, a window in your life that is so valuable, I want you to give everything to it. That's your moment. Would you be like on, on your phone? Would you be like, you know, just distracted? No, if you knew that five minutes, I got five minutes. You would put everything into those five minutes. Now imagine in the light of eternity, the, you've, you've zoomed out, and you've seen your whole existence, and you know I, I'm alive with Christ for eternity, but there are 70, 80, 90, 100 years, however long you live, 120, however long you live, it's going to seem so short. Did I live that life like it meant something? Did I live it for Jesus? Did I redeem the time? Did I, did I say, you know, hey, every minute matters, and so I'm going to live like every minute matters. Now, I know people that have tried to do that in their own flesh, and they've gone crazy, basically. Because if you just go, every minute matters, I think it took too long to breathe. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't answer the phone. I, I can't, you know, then you're going to be obsessed, and you're, you're, you're just going to be uh, useless. But if you'll say, the Spirit of God knows how to lead me and guide me and use me. My job isn't to make sure that I'm doing everything I think I need to do in those years I have. My job is to be obedient to God. Because he didn't call me to save the whole world. He called me to do my part. He called Spiro to do his part. He called Pastor Tia to do her part. I'm not called to do all of it. I'm called to do my part. And he said, I didn't shrink back from that. He said, I didn't count my life as dear to myself so that I might finish my course. That's my goal is to finish my course. Who tells you what your course is? It's God, right? And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of the gospel of the grace of God and now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know, so this is why he's talking to the pastors. You're called to be shepherds under the shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. It's, it come, our, our English word pastor just comes from the Latin word for shepherd. So he's telling these elders who are pastors, I, I know that you need to shepherd the flock of God, but I also know wolves are coming. Now why is he telling them this is going to happen in the future? Why, why isn't it prevalent right now? Well, it's because the church is still new. And if you've read the life of Paul, you know nobody's really envious of his job. Where he goes and brings the gospel, he gets beaten, he gets imprisoned, he gets threatened with his life. Nobody's saying, that's a good scam I could pull. If only I could take his job. Nobody's trying to do that. Wolves aren't after that. But once the church gets established, and once the church begins to thrive in a city, that's when you have people who are seeking power, who are seeking a group of people they can manipulate, who are seeking some people they can get some money from, whatever they're doing. They're saying, hey, this is my opportunity. So he's saying, you need to be aware, first and foremost, that this is how a leader leads. Watch my life. 
And he's about to tell you some key things. But he says here, he says, you know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They'll be after the people. He says, and from among your own selves, now that's the spooky part, among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So every now and then, a new fad comes along and someone claims they finally figured it out. Right? They finally figured it out. This is... This is why we've missed it all these years. I've got this great revelation. I'm finally seeing it clearly. And they'll draw people after themselves. He says in verse 31, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I didn't cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I want you to hear that again. I commend you to God. I know I can't keep you, but God can. What else? How is God going to keep you? Through the word of his grace. That word of his grace that saved you is the word of his grace that's going to keep you. A lot of people wonder, how, how should I keep living as a believer? Uh, you know, what do I need? And, and you'll grow in knowledge. You'll grow in maturity. But the same faith and grace that saved you is the same faith and grace you need for everything in life. That's how you stay in the will of God. That's how you, that's how you receive from God. That's, how, that's everything good in life that God has for you, everything profitable in life that God has for you, everything that you need to be encouraged in a time of hardship is, is here. That same thing that saved me is what will keep me. So I don't just need grace and faith for that one moment I gave my life to Jesus. I need it to live. And he says, that's what I'm, I'm commending you to that. I am leaving you in the hands of God and the word of his grace. That'll keep you. Which is able, here's what it's able to do. It's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance, thank you Jesus, among all those who are sanctified and cleansed, made holy. Verse 33 says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul said in one of his letters, he said, even Jesus said, those in the full-time ministry, he says, they should, they should get their living from it. But he said, I'm not taking advantage of that right. He said, because I, I didn't get drafted because I volunteered. I got drafted because I was an enemy combatant and the Lord saved me. So he said, for my part, I've got no choice but to preach the gospel. So if I want a reward, what I'm going to do is he says, I'm going to preach it and I'm not going to accept anything for it. Now, we know scripturally that those times when he was in prison, those times when uh, later on, he, he says there were churches that supported him. There were churches that gave to him. And you read the book of Philippians, it's a big deal. He says, because you supported me when I needed you, uh, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But when he was with the Ephesians, as well as some other places, he didn't come to a new group of people that are suspicious and say, hey, we're going to take up an offering first day. In fact, what he did was he taught them how to give, but he also worked his own job. We know he was making tents, right? When he was in Ephesus, he was making tents during the day, and then he was preaching in the afternoon. So he was showing them, I'm not here for your money. Now he said, he goes on and says, 
I actually believe that many of the apostles, he, he said they get their living, people support them. He said that's what Jesus said to do. I believe that. But he said I didn't take advantage of that right because among you, you needed to see that I wasn't after your money. He said I worked with my own hands, and here's why. So I had something to give. He said I wanted to show you that this is what we do as believers. We don't work for a living. We work for a giving. We work to have something to give. That's why you have your job. That's why you have uh, the income you have. So you got something to give. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he tells people that grew up stealing, that were thieves. He said, the one who steals must stop stealing. But rather, let them work with their hands so that they will have something to give to the one who has need. Do you know, if you've been stealing all your life, it's addictive. But once you start giving, that's so much more addictive. He says, teach them to work with their hands. You know, God created us to work. And that's not a bad word. Work is a godly word. It's, it's a four-letter word, but it's one of the good ones. Right? When mankind was created, Adam was given a garden to take care of. Immediately, we had a job. The Bible tells us in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll have a job. The thing is, we just need to switch why we have a job. Because here in Lloydminster... It's very easy to think we have a job so we can buy all the toys we can think of. The boat, the quad, the cabin, the, all the stuff. And so you take these extra hours. You don't see your kids for, for so long. You can't make it to church. All these things because i got to work the hours so I can provide for my kids so that when they're 18, they barely know me. At least they'll have a boat. Right? When your kids go, I don't care about the boat. I want a time with you. Now, I know some of you. I'm like, Pastor, you don't know. It's not easy. I'm trying to work on my hours. I know. And I know what it's like. And I thank God for these godly men and women that are working in fields that are not hospitable to a family life. And you're saying, hey, I'm working on it. I'm trying my best, and the Lord's helping me. And you're a, minister, you're a missionary there. I know so many of you are missionaries on the rigs. You're missionaries in the fast food industry. You're mission I mean, you're using your job to shine light. And I love it. And I, I'm just talking about all the industries these days. It just se seems to be, it's like, you know, we just, just keep running on the hamster wheel. But what if we said, I work for the Lord, and that's why I go to my job, and that's why when my boss isn't looking, I work even better. Because I'm working for Jesus. He doesn't, see me, he doesn't see me making the fries. I'm going to make them as best as I can. And no one will ever know. I'm working the 3 a.m. shift. Nobody comes. I'm making the coffee fresh because I believe that the Lord is watching. I'm going to do it with excellence. I'm working in the rigs, and it's hard being this many weeks off and this many weeks on. So what am I doing? Am I working so I can buy all the toys? No, I'm working for the Lord. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, sometimes God may tell you, you could get a promotion and never see your kids, or you can just, you just take the job that pays a little bit less. And you get to see him. The Lord will lead you. I can't tell you every single one. We don't fit in the same mold. But the Lord will lead you. But if your goal is him, if your goal is the kingdom of God, if you seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness, all those other things will be added. If your goal is him, he'll show you how to do it. So we have like all these people in the room. God's got a different plan for each and every one of you. So don't, don't take what I'm saying as, the, as you say, well, that means I have to do this. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Here's what it says. It's more blessed to give than receive. And he says, that's what Jesus said. In verse 36, and when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. 
And they began to weep aloud, and they embraced Paul, and they repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he'd spoken, that they wouldn't see his face again. And they were accompanying him to his ship. I want to go back to a phrase that he said was important enough for him to say it twice. I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, here's a guy who was a murderer saying, I'm innocent. First of all, he knows for that, I'm innocent because of what Jesus did, right? But when he talks before kings, he doesn't talk like he's innocent. He, he's, he fesses up. He says, this is who I used to be. The innocence he's talking about is not saying I've never wronged anyone in my life. What he's talking about, the innocence he's talking about is, I can't, it can't be said of me that I held back the gospel from someone or I held back truth from someone because I was scared. Because look at both times he says it. Look, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. What does the next verse say? It's going to be a mystery. Come back next Sunday. <laughs> to be continued. I bet you want to know. No peeking, no spoilers. No, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, verse 27, for or because I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Earlier he said he was innocent because he said, I didn't, I didn't shrink back from sharing with you anything that was profitable. Scripture says that all Scripture is profitable to you for training in righteousness for growing in grace so here he says I didn't shrink back that's that's why I'm innocent you know sometimes I've heard I've heard people say well I, how how can I read that verse I don't know the whole purpose of God I don't know the whole counsel of God so how am I supposed to say I didn't I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God who in the world knows everything that God ever has to say I don't really think that's the point Paul's making. He's not saying, I know every single little thing, and I told you every single little thing. What he's saying is, I didn't shrink back when it came time to declare the whole purpose of God. And you and I know that there are things, there are times we read in our Bible and we just go, skip that. I'm skipping. You know, as a, you can imagine as a pastor, but we've, we, we do a, a mix here where there's times where we do topical messages that are on theme for the time and the season we're in. And we've gone through a whole book and taken years to get through a book of the Bible. And there's times, especially when we would do the Wednesday night studies, you remember those, where we go verse by verse, right? And we're going to do more of those kind of things. We, we might not do it in a Wednesday night service, but we're going to do those, those kind of Bible studies. But, you know, we go verse by verse and study it. And i got to be honest with you, there'd be times, because I was preaching it verse by verse, there'd be times where I was, gonna go, I was going, this is going to be a rough Wednesday night. Because I can't skip it, right? And I can't just brush over it and everybody goes, hey, wait, what? Because it's got so much gravitational pull, everybody's going to, you know. You can't just read it once and then just keep going. We're going to have to teach on it. Because if I believe that the whole thing is profitable to you, I can't rob you of it because I'm afraid to tell you or because I really want to pump you up message, and this isn't a pump you up message. He said every single scripture is profitable. It'll profit you. It'll help you. So I didn't shrink back from declaring what was profitable to you even when you didn't want to hear it or even when it wasn't the popular thing at the time. And then he says here, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. 
So maybe you're saying, I don't know the whole purpose of God, so how can I be innocent? Or, I know people are going to hell. I can't save everybody, so now I feel guilty all day. Because maybe I could have helped that person. Maybe I could have helped that person. I've known people that have gone into deep depression because they go, I could have saved one more. And, I, I, and they just kind of, like I said, go crazy. Because they're overwhelmed with the guilt of like, I, I should have done more. I know what that's like. I felt that too. But how do you do that? How do you know that Jesus, you know, ministered for like three and a half years and he didn't talk to every single person on the planet? Right? Did he fulfill his ministry? There were times where he said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to that town. Did he fulfill his ministry? Paul, the Holy Spirit told Paul when he first went, tried to go to these churches, the Holy Spirit told Paul, don't go up there right now. It's not time. Did he fulfill the purpose of God? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is big enough. God is big enough, and he loves everyone so radically that he's big enough to use more than just you. Your responsibility isn't to go around with a great sense of guilt of all the people you're not reaching because guilt is a paralytic. It'll keep you stuck. You start to say, what's the use? But if you believe in an infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God, he sees everything, he knows everything, he's everywhere. If you believe God can use more than just me, that what I'm responsible is not to shrink back when my opportunity comes. See, that's what Paul says. He didn't say, I'm innocent of your blood because I told you every single little thing there was ever to know. He said, here's why I'm innocent. I didn't shrink back. I didn't shrink back. In other words, the only way I'm going to be held responsible for people that should have heard the gospel, that didn't hear the gospel, or should have heard parts of the gospel that I was afraid to say, or if I'm too afraid to say them. If I shrink back, then it's on me. Ezekiel talks about, uh, the book of Ezekiel, God prophesies through him saying that uh, he talks about a watchman looking out over a city wall. And he says, if the watchman sees danger coming and doesn't sound the horn, then everybody's blood's on his head. But if he does and he sounds the alarm and no one listens, he says, their blood's not on your hands, you did your part. Can we all just agree, it's not, my, it's not your job, it's not my job to save everybody, it's Jesus. That's him. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to just be obedient to the Lord and not shrink back. The Bible says we are not from the kind of people that shrink back. We're not of those that shrink back. We are those that press forward by faith to the salvation of the soul. So your job is not to say, oh my goodness, there's people over here, oh, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. What am I doing? I I don't have time to eat breakfast. I need to be talking to as many people as possible. Your job is to trust in an eternal God that really loves people and wants to save people and has a plan for you that fits into his big plan. Only thing you gotta do is say, Lord, I want to know your purpose. I want to know your counsel. Show me what I need to know and not shrink back when the time comes to walk on it. So practically, you're pumping gas. Someone says, here, you're dressed up nice on a Sunday morning. What have you been doing? And you're like, um, if I tell them I was, with, I was at church, they're going to start asking questions about that. So I might just say I was with some friends. (laughs) I won't be lying. 
But we won't have to talk religion because, you know, people are really, really touchy about religion and politics, right? But you know that's an open door. Somehow God just used that as an open door so that you could talk to that person. Somebody's on the, you're driving downtown, you park the car. Lord draws your eyes to somebody that's walking down the street. They look pretty beat up. They look pretty ratty. And you go, I've got something in my car for them. But I also have other things to do. And I'd rather get my day on track. Who knows how long it's going to take to talk to this fella. If I could just drive by and throw stuff out the window at him, maybe I could. First of all, that's a human being, right? It's a human being that Jesus loves and died for. Worth more than your schedule. That's a human being. But what the Lord is doing is he's saying, now is your opportunity. I want to use you right now. The question is, are you going to shrink back from that moment? Here's the problem. Uh, When I read this, I can think of times that I shrunk back. I wonder if you could too. Or if the perfect ones amongst us will rise (laughs) and ascend and, and display yourself in all your glory so that we can see you and learn your secrets. Maybe you're like me and you go, boy, I bet I have. Could I have this conversation? Could I say what Paul is saying? The best I know is what I said at the beginning. The way you got saved is the way you live. If you got saved knowing that Jesus was big enough, his blood was big enough to cover your sin, your shortcomings, your failure, then you live that way too. And you say, Lord, if I missed a chance, I repent. And next time, I'm gonna, I said this to you a few weeks ago, I'm going to use that as fuel. So next time, I said this to the youth actually, next time I'm going to use that as fuel. I'm going to get so much more fired up because I don't want to feel like this again. I've had those moments, and I missed my chance. I missed my chance, and I knew it. I knew it was because I was just nervous, or I was waiting for the perfect moment, and the perfect moment never comes, or whatever. And I missed it, and I beat myself up. And I remember I told you guys about one time, me and my brother-in-law, we missed an opportunity. We were on the other side of the world, and there was a moment, and we missed it. And we were back at the hotel, and we were like heads in our hands going, oh, we missed it. And I said to him, I said, you know what, we've got a meeting tonight where we're preaching the gospel that people have never heard. I said, let's use that as fuel for tonight. We, let's repent. Lord, we shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry for being fearful. I'm sorry for shrinking back. Lord, I thank God for your forgiveness. Lord, would you help me next time never to do that again? Because I don't like this feeling. I don't like feeling like I let that guy go when Jesus had a plan for his life. Well, that night, that night I remember being one of the most powerful nights I've ever been a part of. The hundreds of people that came to Jesus that night. The hundreds, well, probably dozens that got, that got healed dramatically. Because we didn't just sit there in the hotel room and wallow in our own self-guilt. But we said, okay, Lord, use me the next time. All right, all right, I learned that. Next time, I won't say no. I won't shrink back. Could we have that kind of conversation? As a pastor, I think about this kind of conversation a lot. But I don't think about this conversation as much as I think about the conversation I'm going to have with Jesus. See, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to answer to him. He's going to say to me, I let you take care of some of my sheep. How'd you treat them? 
Lord, I think I did a good job. I think I did my best. Did you shrink back from telling them the whole thing, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Lord, I hope not. Or maybe he'll say, actually, you did. (laughs) Exhibit A. (laughs) Why do you always skip over this scripture? Um, It's an awkward one, Lord. I don't want to be canceled. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd rather people like you than... You'd rather people be pleased with you than I be pleased with you? No, Lord, that's not what I said. Don't put words in my mouth, Jesus. But that's exactly what's going on. That's what we call the fear of people, the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of people is a trap. It'll set a trap for you every time in your life. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. How do I know that I fear God? Do you care more about what he thinks than anyone else? That's how you'll not shrink back. See, if you just think, how will I not shrink back in the moment of testing? How will I not shrink back in the moment of opportunity? I'll tell you how you won't shrink back. It's not by screwing up your courage. It's not by practicing your lines at home. Although maybe that will help. I don't know. What's really going to help you is to be more aware of God. More aware of God. The more aware you are of God, the more you fear the Lord, the less you'll fear anything else. And when I say fear the Lord, I don't mean be scared of God. I mean, be aware of him, care about what he thinks, care about who he is, like reverence him, have him at the top. Only one, of, one I want to please is him. I don't, I don't care if you like me. I want him to like me. I want him to be pleased with my life. And when that's your attitude, every conversation reflects that. Every conversation that you have, you are reflecting that attitude because you are saying, God, what do you want me to say right now? How do you want me to react? That's the fear of the Lord. And it will keep your beat from being afraid of anything else. You won't shrink back if you're aware of God. See, if you know the Lord is with you, do you imagine the disciples were ever afraid to do what Jesus said when he was right there? No, they weren't. If Jesus said, we're going here, they went with him. Sometimes they said, well, we'll probably die, but we'd rather be with you and die than stay here and live. They, 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 they believed as long as we are with Jesus, we're okay. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're with him? Do you believe he's with you? Do you believe that he's able to lead you and guide you and he'll never leave you or forsake you? Do you believe that your life is in his hand and that you, you, you've got a choice whether I'm going to walk his path or my own path? And I know my own path leads to destruction, but I know his leads to life. And so I believe that the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God must get people to heaven. Because he said, the blood's not on my hands. So it's got to tell me that, that if I preach the gospel in its fullness, people come to Jesus. People come to the Lord. People are reconciled to God. Even the parts that aren't popular, that's the thing. We kind of say, we, Jesus needs a PR team. He needs our help. We need to clean up some of this. It's not inclusive enough. I mean, seems pretty one religion. Doesn't seem to include others, other belief systems. It doesn't, you know, there's a whole lot of this that, oh, if I said this out loud. And yet, do you believe that the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God? If Paul said, nobody's blood's on my hand because I didn't shrink back from declaring it to you, that actually declaring the word of God and speaking what it says in its, in its truth as best you know it, that that's actually going to lead people to life? Can you believe that the Holy Spirit actually is the 
only thing that's drawing people to God. It's the only person that's drawing people to God. So if we're afraid of the Holy Spirit, or we're afraid of his word, we're afraid of the very things that lead people to God, which makes no sense. And you all know we grew up, I grew up in a charismatic church, so I know what it's like when your friend from school comes to church and you're just like, Holy Spirit, tame it down this Sunday. Just don't do anything weird. Please don't do anything weird. My friend's here. My buddy's here. Please, just like, can you be calm, Spirit of God? Can you just chill? And then I came to know it's the Holy Spirit that draws people to Jesus. I came to know that the only people that were offended in services like that were Christians. That to unbelievers, the whole thing was weird. Everything was weird. Why is this any more weird? The whole thing is freaky. You guys are singing to a God I can't see. Of course it's weird. It was the Christians that were all worried that the Holy Spirit would take over and do something odd. But my friends from school were like, I want that. You guys are talking in a different language. How do you do that? I heard in youth group, one kid said, I just thought it was amazing. That guy said, there's somebody here that has this problem. Somebody said, that's me. They came up. They were healed. Do you guys do this all the time? And I was like, yeah. Thank you for not chilling out. Thanks for not taming it down, God. Same thing with this word. Oh, I don't want to preach anything that's going to make somebody feel convicted or feel like, uh, like you want them to get saved, right? Like I, I'm not talking about, I've seen people try to convict people in their own flesh, try to make people feel guilty. Oh, that's trash. That, that word of condemnation doesn't do anything but further condemn. But I'm talking about the message of grace here, the, the message that you need a Savior. And if nobody believes they need a Savior, they're not going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So it's okay if for a moment you feel, I'm dying and I need life. Because if you don't know you're dying, you'll never seek the cure. That's why Paul said, we are the aroma of Christ to God, but to those that are perishing, we're the very scent of death. We smell like death because somebody who's dying needs to be reminded that they're dying so that they can come to life. I want to close with some thoughts here. That Paul wrote to Timothy. You may not know this, but Timothy was the guy that was left, eventually left in charge of all these churches in Ephesus. So when Paul said goodbye to these guys, he, he never did see their faces again. But he left his, one of his strongest young men there and eventually sent him there. It wasn't immediate, but eventually sent him there. And Timothy spent the rest of his life, most of it, um, ministering to the people in Ephesus, overseeing the church in Ephesus. Timothy, when he was an old man, went out onto the street one day when they were celebrating a pagan ritual and they were doing a bunch of things that we would all hide our kids' faces from. And Timothy was an old man, and I don't know if he saw some of his congregation partaking or what he saw, but he began to call out and say, this isn't right. Somebody was so offended on behalf of their God that they began to beat him to death on the sidewalk. And that's how Timothy died in this city. But he spent his whole life, from the time he was a young man to the time he was an old man, overseeing this church once he was put in place there. 
But when Paul writes his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul is aware that he's about to die. He knows that his time's running out. One of the saddest things is he says that everybody in Asia deserted me. Which I don't know if he's being literal or not, but it seems to me that most of these people he said goodbye to eventually um, stopped writing because he fell out of favor. And to be identified with Paul was kind of to be treated like Paul was treated. It's important to remember that these days, not to believe everything you read. There are some of us that will someday fall out of favor with the culture. And lies will be told about them. And I've been in the place where I said, I don't want to be seen as that person is seen because I'm a loving person and they seem like they're not. And then when you talk to them, you find out most of what was said was never, never happened. And you feel so badly for judging them by the way the world slandered them. That's what happened to Paul. He was not put to death for being a good man. He was put to death for being what they thought was a bad man. A rebel. Perhaps an arsonist. Because they believed the church, the Christians, set fire to Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, He says to young Timothy, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, your hand, of my hands. Because God has not given you a spirit of timidity. Now this is a different word than, than the word fear in the rest of the New Testament. The word fear in the rest of the New Testament is the word phobos, which, which is mostly what we translate as fear. And sometimes it can be a good fear and a bad fear. But this is a, a word that means cowardice. Timidity, you allowed something to intimidate you. You drew back. You were afraid of people. God didn't give you that spirit. So if you ever start to act on it, no, that's not God. Why does he have to tell Timothy this? Because Timothy is young. And Timothy is in a place where he's not sure they're going to accept him. And they're not sure he's going to be able to lead them. And there's, there's opposition to the things that he's preaching. And so Paul has to remind him not to neglect the gift. Listen to this. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, hey, don't you dare go turn your back on Jesus, because that's not the issue here. Guys, I'm going to tell you, probably most of you in this room will never actually say, do I really believe in Jesus anymore? That's not going to be the question. The question is, are you going to neglect what God has given you to do? See, Paul said, Paul didn't say I did everything in the world that I could do to save people. He said, what was given to me, what I received, I passed on. All that you're responsible for is what is given to you. That's why too much is given, much is required. What you're responsible for is what God gave you. That's why the only factor here is when God gives you the opportunity, when God gives you the gift, when God gives you the message, when God gives you all these things, when God gives you the, the open door in a relationship, when he, whatever, are you going to shrink back? So Paul is telling Timothy, don't shrink back. That's not God. God hasn't given you that spirit. What's the spirit he gave you? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and a spirit of, di of discipline. King James says sound mind, that, that disciplined mind, that, that ability to, to not get carried away in your own fear. He says this, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering 
for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, what does suffering mean? It means a lot of things in different contexts, but here it means that you keep going even when it's hard. You keep going even when it's hard. He's not telling Timothy to go out and find a bed of nails and go lie on it. (laughs) That serves no purpose. What's the purpose here? If it's hard, and he tells him later, suffer as a good soldier. What do soldiers do? Soldiers don't go and say, shoot me, please, I need it. I want to suffer for my country. No! They go and they fight. But if, they, if it gets hard and it, it gets difficult and they're getting shot at or they're having to go through hard circumstances, they don't quit because it's hard because they know they've got a mission. And so he's saying here, don't be ashamed of me, but join with me in doing the hard thing for the grand purpose in suffering for the gospel. That's what we're doing it for. See, if you're suffering because you're a jerk, you're suffering because you're a jerk. But if you're suffering for the gospel, Peter says that that finds grace with God, that finds blessing. James said the same thing. He says here, suffer for the gospel according, listen to this, how do I do that? Not according to being brave or being strong or any of those things, but according to the power of God. How do I keep going? The power of God. How do I keep from quitting? How do I keep from shrinking back? The power of God. It's the same grace that saved you. Who has saved us. And he called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. See, that day is the thing that meant more than anything to Paul. That day is why he didn't shrink back. That day is why he could speak with on on the day where he left those elders in Miletus. That was why he could speak with confidence, because he lived his life For that day, that day I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus. That day I'm going to stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That day where some, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, will have been saved from hell. They're not going to hell. They've been saved. But they won't have anything to show for their life. Did you know there's some of those that that, that's the story? 1 Corinthians 3 tells it clearly. He says they'll be saved as though through fire. But their work is burned up. Because they built with cheap materials on a cheap foundation. That's not the life I want to live. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I did my best. I did, I, I did what you gave me to do. And I didn't do it in my strength. I did it in yours. You did things through me that I couldn't have done. He says, he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Look at the next verse. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul says, God's going to guard what I've entrusted to him, but I've got to guard what he's entrusted to me. If you went to chapter 4, he tells Timothy, you can read that in your own time, but he tells Timothy, you preach the whole word in season and out. You don't back down from it. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with all authority. You do it in the grace of God. And he tells them how to do it. 
He says the time's coming when people won't want to hear everything. They'll want to hear what tickles their ears. They want to, they'll gather to themselves teachers. And Paul couldn't have known that we'd have YouTube. He couldn't have known how easy it would be to heap upon yourselves teachers. Back in his day, you had to go find the teacher. Now, in 20 seconds, you can have a dozen sermons that back up what you want to believe. I'd like to believe that the way to heaven is more bubblegum. I found a guy who backs me up. All right. You ever wonder how lawyers always find an expert who say what they want them to say, right? There's always an expert who will tell you what you want. But he says, you preach the word in season and out. So I want us to remember those that went before us, that laid a foundation. I want us to remember the conduct they lived with. I want you to remember the person that shared the gospel with you for the first time. I want you to think of the pastors that have led you in your life if you've been blessed enough to live long enough to have multiple pastors. I want you to think of the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, the apostles, the friends that have helped you get closer to Jesus. And I want you to thank God that they didn't shrink back. Aren't you glad that somebody told you the gospel and didn't shrink back? Aren't you glad somebody wasn't afraid of you? Aren't you glad somebody wasn't so afraid of you that they corrected you when you needed it? They weren't afraid that you'd leave their church and stop giving? They'd rather have you be on the right course than you like them in that moment. Aren't you glad they didn't shrink back? Can you be that kind of person? Can you be that kind of person who says, I don't have anybody's blood on my hands? Maybe you say, I, gotta, I probably have a ton. Thank God. Thank God for his forgiveness. But thank God you got a future. You got people waiting for you in your future. The Bible says we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So God has prepared you for some things, and he's prepared some things for you, and they're in your future. And the only thing that's going to decide whether or not you're going to walk in them is will you shrink back? Will you shrink back? Will you care more about your popularity? Will you care more about fitting in at school? Will you care more about promotion at your job? Will you care more about just having everybody get along than you care about people's eternal destiny? These are questions I've asked myself. And I hope they're questions you ask yourself. Paul said in Romans, he talked about a group of cities he'd, he'd ministered to. He talked about the length and the breadth of his ministry life. And he said, I know this. I, I, from here to here, I've done this. I've done this. In the power of the Spirit, in the power of signs and wonders, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ told you this before, but that, that passage is etched on my father's tombstone. My mom made sure it was there because that was what he lived his life by. Being able to say, I fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel we were meant to preach. Fully preach it. Don't hold back anything. Don't hold back a treasure. Don't back, hold back a treasure for someone. Don't hold back bread from a dying man. Don't hold back water from someone who's dying of thirst. Don't shrink back in the day of battle. And you say, well, how do I not shrink back? I'm a coward. Uh-huh, I get it. 
We've all been cowards. What you do is you remember, I have, a whole, I have the Holy Spirit now. And God didn't give me the spirit of, of, of fear, of timidity, of cowardice. But he gave me a spirit of love and a power and of a sound mind. So if I got saved by trusting that God was able to save me, then I'm going to continue his work by trusting that God's able to use me. So today, Lord, I, I, I just acknowledge I am weak in this area, but you said in my, my weakness, your power is made perfect. I, I'm telling you, Lord, I, I'm, I used to call myself shy. That was my reality is I'm shy. But I know in your strength, you said the wicked run away when no one's chasing them. But the righteous, they're as bold as lions. So I'm not going to say I'm shy anymore. I'm going to say I'm bold. And Lord, I know I'm not bold in my strength. i got to be bold in your strength. So God, let your grace be used through me. Put words in my mouth. Put courage in my heart. Put a spirit in me. Put steel in my spine. Don't let me back down in the day of testing. Because if you depend on him, he'll do it. If you depend on you, you better hope you're strong enough. But if you depend on him, he is strong enough. In that moment, God will use a kid. God will use a a five-year-old for his glory. He'll use somebody that can say, God can use me. He's not looking for the strongest of us. He's looking for those who will allow him to be strong through you. He's allowing those who say, God, let your power be known through me. You're not having to be me. You don't have to be Pastor Jonathan. You don't have to be Kim. You don't have to be Don. You have to be you. But not just you. You in Christ. And if you can be you in Christ... You can say someday, I did what I was called to do, and I didn't shrink back. Amen. Would you stand with me?